What's up, y'all? Uncle Jimmy here, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Jason Whitlock. All right? And this is what we're going to call 10 Questions with Jason Whitlock. You ready for this, man? I am ready. Can you count to 10? We'll find out in a minute, all right? <laughs> you ready to get down to this, man? Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's be professional about it. Let's Long get down to it. Long overdue. I got a lot to talk about, man. All right, first of all, where the hell have you been? <laughs> where have I been? I've been in Nashville. I've been in Nashville preparing for what's next. I, I, I've been in Nashville trying to get myself together. It's been a beautiful move. I lived in Los Angeles for 10 years. And I believe it was last August, I left Los Angeles. I was ready to get out of Los Angeles. I originally enjoyed Los Angeles. You and a whole bunch of people. <laughs> but as things went just too woke and just just too far left and just, you know, and I ain't going to lie, the taxes was too high. And Los Angeles just didn't fit where my life was transitioning and I wanted to do something different career-wise and so you you know I left and you know joined Outkick and that didn't work out and for the last six months or so I've been working on what's next and making sure I do my due diligence to make sure that I'm with the right people and that I'm ready to hit more home runs so you know, I've been around. I've been being in Nashville. I'm closer to my... Jason, Jason can I cut you off? What? Can, I, can I help you out a little yeah, bit? Yeah, Because I hear you saying what you did. Let me help you out and tell you what you did, okay? What? Yeah. What you did was you ran out on one of the number one sports talk shows on television. Speak for yourself. That's what you did. You ran out and you left me. You left Darnell. You left Niner. You left Marcellus. <laughs> you left LeVar. You left T.J. Hoosbenzada with the good hair. <laughs> Come on, man. Look uh, here, man. I mean, what, what, what do you have to say to that, man? <sighs> I'm not speaking to you. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Why did I leave? I left because it was time to do something better and different. It was time for me to stand on my own two feet. It was time for me to do what a lot of the talented creators have done, from Bill Simmons to Dave Portnoy to Ben Shapiro to Joe Rogan. It's, it's if you have talent, the era that we're in right now is not about being attached to a big corporation, because that big corporation... They don't even, it's, it used to be called golden handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Now they put freedom of speech handcuffs on you. And now it's not the best environment to be the most honest and most transparent. My whole career has been based on transparency and honesty and, and just keeping it a thousand percent real. And I just felt like in order to be as transparent as I wanted to be, to have as much leverage and influence as I wanted to have, and to have the maximum payday, I needed to move on and I needed to be in an environment where I could move on and do something great. And so I think what we did at Speak For Yourself speaks for itself. I believe we were the hottest sports show in television, the most original. You know. Uh, <laughs> the most real. <laughs> and we were experiencing the most growth of anybody in the industry. We were really the only thing growing, us and Cowherd. Right. But trying to take it to the next level, I feel like that, you know, they had other commitments and I just felt like I could do something different and better. And so that's, it was not personal. I missed all of you guys that you, that you just named. And uh, Nina, don't call Nina Nina. Nina. You know, hey, man, you Nina wanna, good people, man. Yeah, I'm you, telling you. you want to butcher Mark Ellis's name, Listen, I think. First man, of all, have you forgotten Nina, all that? Look, man, Nina couldn't get f further away from your ass. Nina went to Tennessee. How you going to go from <laughs> California to Tennessee? What? <laughs> 
how do you know that she didn't go to Tennessee knowing I was coming? Because she and I talked long after your <laughs> departure. Trust me. Trust me. Me, me, Darnell, that other little crazy boy you bought from Kansas City. What was his name? The one, uh, the one that looked Mark, like Dracula? Mark, Jayhawk Mark, man. You remember Jayhawk Mark? Yeah, what used I'm saying. Call, used to call the doghouse. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But, I mean, we all had these conversations. Let me ask you this. Have you talked to Marcella since you left? Of course. Okay. I, I, of course. That's I've, important to me. Yeah. I want you to know that. I've been, I think, very supportive of him over social media and what he's continued to do and his continued growth. And I, I love how he's leaning into his family dynamic. That was, I thought, of tremendous value in the era that we're in now. I think it's wonderful what he and Anna Marie have built together with their three kids and the daughter Marcellus's older daughter. I, I just love what they represent, and I love the way Marcellus has been rep- representing himself on the TV show, uh, over social media. And so I feel like I've shown Marcellus a lot of support, and I feel like he's shown me a lot of support. We we still have the occasional text threads between me and him. Damn, you done left out Iceberg Jim Jackson, my guy. I, you know, because Iceberg going on doing his thing, man. <laughs> hey, man, Jim Jackson ain't been thinking about you, man. He done done the he done done the NCAA term. He done went on with his life. Of course he has, but <laughs> me and Jim still communicate. No, no, Jim's you one. was a fling in Jim Jackson's life. <laughs> you were nothing to Jim Jackson. Come on, man. Jim, <laughs> Jim misses me at Wally's. Dude, you are not Jim Jackson's friend. Come on, man. He misses me at Wally's. <laughs> I was a great wingman for him. <laughs> yeah, you was a wingman, all right. <laughs> a wingman, a truffle chicken man. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's let's get back to business here. Because we're talking about Fox. Right, but here's what I haven't heard you say. Yeah. You ain't told me, told me nothing about this new place you with. You ain't told me nothing about the Blaze. What's going on with you and the Blaze? Uh, you got a show coming on with the Blaze. What's yeah, going on? I, let me, I, Jim, you a fast talker. I'm a slow talker. Give, give me a second. <laughs> I, I, I'm amazed that you said that, Jason. I, I don't think the people could even realize that there's a difference in our delivery. Yeah, I measure my words because my words get analyzed and dissected. But, yeah, we're going to do a fearless project. He measures his words. <laughs> and we're going to do a digital TV program, audio program, podcast, you and I called Fearless. We're going to have a writing vertical called Fearless. I'm going to get back to writing virtually every day like I was at OutKick. And we're going to continue to try to be a disruptor in the groupthink space and provide a point of view and a perspective that no one else is willing to give, including discussing faith and the importance of faith. And why the absence of religious faith mm. is why the country's in so much chaos. And we're going to talk about my journey, your journey, America's journey with faith. And I'm going to, you know, I came, I've been on Glenn Beck's program several times, and Glenn keeps asking me all the time, what's the solution? What's the solution? And every time I say it, he just gets a big smile on his face. But the solution is Jesus. The chaos that we're in right now in America is because we've allowed Jesus to be canceled. We all think cancel culture is about Donald Trump. We think it's about me and, oh, Twitter suspended my account because I criticized the woman from BLM. We can internalize. You apologized to Twitter about that, didn't you? No, I didn't. (laughs) No, I didn't. Uh, But we... We have internalized and personalized all of this criticism and attack of conservatives, and they think it's an attack of conservatives, an attack of Republicans or right-wing people, and it's not any of that. The attack is on Jesus and Christianity and faith. That's what's being canceled. And so, you know, the whole show is not going to be focused on that. But we're not going to shy away from discussing that. And that's why I needed to get out of L.A., Mm -hmm. where I could be more fearless, where I could talk more about 
Fearless uh, is the name of the show, right? Yeah, Fearless. I, I, I said that, Jim. If you'd listen to me, instead of think about which joke you're going to crack next, you would have heard that. But... <laughs> Uh, I really missed it. <laughs> I know. Because you're sitting around thinking, I'm talking really about Jesus, <laughs> and you thinking about how I can crack a joke. Uh, <laughs> That's blasphemy, Jason. No, I'm not. Yeah. Come on, man. You messed this whole thing up. Come on, <laughs> No, I just... Anyway, again, that won't be our entire focus. You know, we're going to be comedic because, again... Have fun. You and I love to laugh. That's probably... That's been the whole basis of our 25-year friendship is cracking jokes and laughing and enjoying the freedom to crack jokes and to not have to apologize for just wanting to laugh and not thinking every joke is some kind of assault on someone personally. And again, everybody knows I like to joke on myself. And so I just think we're going to be a mix of conversation about culture, about you know mixing a little politics, faith, sports. Obviously, I have a reputation as being one of the most honest and provocative and articulate. Or Those are the first words that came to your mind? When it comes to the topic of race. There you go. Yes. And America is in a racial, cultural war. And I don't think Christians are comfortable right now getting into that space fully and pushing back against the left and their secular view of the world, I'm very comfortable and can't wait to engage in that fight. And we're going to do it fearlessly on you know the platform we cre- create and on the you know podcast and digital television show and things like that. And so I just think fearless is going to be the biggest and best thing I've ever been involved with and that you've ever been involved with. Okay, so you're going to lean into your faith, but let's keep this real, man. Your reputation has been Diamond Joes and strip clubs. Everybody's seen the pictures of you and the two Asian ladies at the club in Las Vegas, and I think it's safe to say that you're not part of the Asian hate movement. (laughs) So how are you going to transition your reputation into what you're going to do now with Fearless as to what you've done before? I'm going to be transparent about who I am, who I was, and where I'm at now. And I think that if anybody has really followed my work, I never shied away from my religious upbringing. I never shied away from my religious principles. They were all they were just drowned out by me keeping it real about what my actions were in real life as a younger man. Because I never want to be a hypocrite. I never want to live a lie. Right. And so, and I'm not ashamed of a lot of the people that I met when I was living more in the world than I am now. Okay. okay. There's some great people. Joe, you mentioned Diamond Joe, Joe Magnusina. Love that man, love his wife, love the way they treated me and still do treat me. Diamond Joe calls me once a month. I call him once every other month. There's nothing he wouldn't do for me or my family. Right. And again, Diamond Joe's is a club in Kansas City, and Joe Magnusino owned a strip club, and he was a mentor, a friend, a father figure, a friend of my family, anything that I ever needed in Kansas City. Because at that time, I mean, you know, because you was in Kansas City. Man, I was polarizing in Kansas City the same way I am polarizing now nationally. And to be quite honest with you, people wanted to reach out and touch me in Kansas City. And if not for Diamond Joe and his people, somebody may have reached out and I was going to say, me. they wanted to touch you. <laughs> yeah. They wanted so, to touch you, but, uh, yeah, but it wouldn't, wouldn't have been in a sociably respectable way. <laughs> right. And so I'm going to transition just transparently and say, and anybody that's a Christian will understand. They may not have lived my life, but they'll understand we're all sinners in some capacity. Okay. And the reason why we lean into our Christianity and our faith and maybe start wearing it publicly is because we understand that compels us to live a better life. And so, you know, it's probably been three to four to five years where I've started 
talking about my faith and wearing it publicly. And part of the reason why I did that is so that, and I wasn't even thinking this at the time, it's just the feeling that I had. But part of the reason I did that is because I now would look real stupid inside of a strip club. I mean, really stupid. It would be like, man, this dude is calling himself a Christian, and he's sitting in a strip club putting dollar bills in some 21-year-old girl's mm-hmm. G-string and calls himself a Christian. I would look really stupid. So leaning into my faith makes it impossible for me to go to a strip club. And people don't understand that because we live in this era now where people that don't believe are using our sin to stop us from professing and promoting our religious beliefs. (laughs) It's like, how you going to say you love Jesus or promote Jesus and you had an affair on your wife? Or you did X, Y, and Z. And so people conceal it and they're more comfortable saying, well, I'm a Republican or I'm a conservative or I'm a right winger. I'm a libertarian or I'm I'm a liberal. I'm a Democrat. And they love to put all these other tags on them because that frees you to be immoral. Mm. If you're a Republican or you're a LGBTQ or whatever these are, a feminist or whatever, all of that legalizes you to be as immoral as you want to be. But you put that tag Jesus and Christianity or whatever religious faith you claim, you put that tag on you and start wearing it first. Now you look stupid doing a lot of the things that you were doing previously. You thought, well, it, and so even to me, and, and I have a cussing problem, just keeping it real. And I'm sorry to say it. I'm just keeping it real. Motherfucker (laughs) is probably my favorite word on earth. But as a Christian, I use it a lot less because I'm always thinking like, man, I can't say that I'm a Christian. And so it's cleaning up my tongue. Like Tony Dungy, who I have a lot of respect for. I love Tony Dungy. He came at me over Twitter about, hey, man, you with us now. Clean up your language. Mm. You, You representing us. And he asked me respectfully to clean up my, and I've made that pledge, and I've used, I think, less profanity over social media, trying to use less of it in my life. And so, look, am I a sinner? Yes, I am. That's why I'm a Christian. If I wasn't a sinner, I would be Jesus for one, and I wouldn't have to proclaim that (laughs) that I'm a Christian because I'd be Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm a sinner. Everybody that will listen to this podcast is a sinner. Many of us are smart enough to humble ourselves and try to put some restrictions or some guidance, some guardrails around us so that we become less of a sinner and start experiencing the fruit that I think it's in Galatians 5 or whatever, the fruit of what Jesus and God want for us here on this earth, joy and just all the good. Th- and so I've, I've, I, I'm not going to run away from who I was. I, I'm not going to run away that, I, but I don't think for anybody that really understands the purpose of Christianity and why Jesus died on the cross, I don't think they're going to have a problem with me leaning into my faith, talking about it and expressing it. And if I'm going to struggle, just like everybody else, but I I just think in smart people, pragmatic people, intelligent people, spiritual people, they're going to understand my struggle, understand what I'm talking about and accept it. And I think my message is actually going to cut through even more standing with Jesus than standing on my own two feet alone. Can I ask you something, Jason? Yeah. Why did it take you that long just to say, Jim, I've grown? Well. Because that's all it is, man. You've grown. You're a better man. Jim. We've all grown. Jim, I think that's a great point. But I'm hoping other people have the same reaction that you just had. That, man, Whitlock has grown. And that you recognize 
the things that I'm telling you that have happened to me are a sign of growth. And other people will get the confidence to grow right along with me and embrace that. And I, I just, the one of the reasons I explained it the way that I did is because, again, I think many Christians are in fear of letting people know that they are Christians. We've backed away from our religious identity and leaned into other identities because atheists and mm. people that aren't on our team are using our sin to silence us. People are afraid to express their belief and faith because they don't want their sin to boomerang on them. And I'm telling people, screw those people. Yes, you are a sinner. That's why you're a Christian. If you weren't a sinner, there would be no need. Mm. And so you just you did that. You just like go that. ahead <laughs> and say, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I did that. Yes, I was weak in this moment. Yes, me and my wife were going through X, Y, and Z, and I made this fall. But I'm a Christian because Jesus is going to help me get back up and do the right thing moving forward. Okay, wasn't too much fun involved in that. I loved it. <laughs> Let me ask you one quick question. Yeah. You think Jesus will give out a third round of stimulus checks? <laughs> no, he was going to teach a man to fish. All right, listen, let me ask you this. Let me get to this. You're Should I about... count that as one of your questions? No. Actually, yeah. I was going to tell you, this is yeah. a 10-question yeah. game, not a 10-hour game. So can you wrap <laughs> it up a little bit quicker? No. Listen, <laughs> you was talking about social media, right? Yeah. Social media paints the picture that you're despised by black people and that your point of view is anti-black. What do you say to that? I mean, like, I've written and talked a lot about social media. It's, it's a rigged job. There is no such thing as black Twitter. Mm-hmm. Black Twitter is some algorithm, uh, put your phone on side, some algorithm <laughs> created in what I like to call Satan Con Valley. Mm. They call it Silicon Valley, but I call it Satan Con Valley. And it's an algorithm, it's bots, it's, it's something people have trained to do, and the system's been rigged up to train people to think anybody that doesn't preach democratic politics is a sellout and is an Uncle Tom. And so hmm. they've turned blackness into a political ideology. And the ideology is we worship white liberals. And anybody that doesn't worship white liberals and the philosophies they espouse is a sellout. And so those are actually the house Negroes in the house of the big white liberals and anybody that resembles Kunta Kente who won't get on board. <laughs> Man, we got a good master. We got a good master. Is we master. sick, master? <laughs> is we sick? If Ooh, you don't get on board with our that. Our house is on fire, master. <laughs> yes. If you're not willing to get on board with that, you're Uncle Tom and a sellout. I have been brought up and believe in a spouse. All that me and Jesus are enough. And I don't need white people as my daddy and as someone to show me the way. I can read the Bible. I can study in church. I got a father who was a Booker T. Washington Negro that cast down his bucket and built a business in the black community, built a new home in the black community, and built his happiness right there amongst the people he enjoyed and liked. And between that and my religious upbringing, I'm just not on board with, I gotta have a white liberal savior to show me the way. And so the people that are in that white liberal big house can't stand me because I'm making them look weak are bad and Twitter's got it all rigged up to make everybody think that, oh my God, if you don't think this, you're not black. Joe Biden said it. When I go out into the public, that's not how I'm received. That's some stuff I deal with over social media. But it, it was like when we landed at the Dallas airport, mm -hmm. some Uber driver hopped out of his car and ran to me 
Jason Whitlock, man. I almost took off running. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't say that. I was almost gone. I just want to shake your hand. I just want to shake your hand, man. Good that. to meet you. Blah, blah, blah. I can't say all my interactions are that way, but most are. <laughs> and people don't run up to me talking crazy. And so most people, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, treat me with the same energy I give them. People respond to positive energy. You know, the, the social media is a rigged job, and so I just don't buy into it. Speaking of social media, I got one for you here. Yeah. You've been championing Kwame Brown and Kevin Samuels on Twitter. What's so important about these two dudes in your world right now that it seems like they're kind of high on your list? Biggest disruptors I've seen in terms of explain this thing that they call the culture. Everybody wants to rep the culture, and repping the culture seems to be, are you on board with whatever rapper is cussing on a song and saying the N-word and talking about bees and hoes? That's repping the culture. And do your pants hang off your butt? Uh, Do you have dreadlocks? How many tattoos you got? How many gold chains? Do your rims spin? Do You got to eat it like it's groceries. (laughs) And do you think all of these liberal thoughts. And Kwame Brown has come from out of nowhere and smacked the whole world in the face and said, hey man, why are y'all promoting this false gangster pose and messaging the kids that that's what a real man does? A real man will pull out his gun and gun down anybody that disrespects him. I've made it crystal clear. I like Steven Jackson. I think his heart's in the right place. I don't think his ma- actions match his heart all that often. But Steven Jackson's trying to do the right thing. Okay. But Kwame's calling him out for the things he's doing wrong. And being 43 and fronting like you still a gangster and y- y- your people will reach out and touch this person or that person. Or you're willing to reach out and touch this person or that person. And, and you know, Matt Barnes sitting around still playing like he's a basketball tough guy. And, you know, it's a— Hold, hold on, right there, right there, yeah. right there. Let me start. Let me ask you this. Does your support, your support of Kwame, does it have to do with the fact that he's been attacking some of those very names you just said? Steven Jackson, Matt Barnes, Charlemagne the God, Jamel Hill, Chris Bouchard. I mean, what do you say? I mean, those are some of those people that you've had some noted problems with. There's no question. But, Jim, it's, it's, it's bigger than those individuals. What Kwame's doing, he's using those guys as props to make a much bigger point. Everybody's into the individuals he's calling out. Perhaps some people... The much bigger message that he's trying to get to is going over their heads. I think he's headed in a direction that the much bigger picture is going to be crystal clear to everybody because he's finally gotten there and started talking about just because I have a different opinion than you, I'm thrown out of the black community. I'm I'm allegedly not black just because I have a difference of opinion. And y'all got this little clique and gang that y'all run around with. He calls it the go-along, the get-along gang, or the get-along, the go-along gang. It's like a little fraternity they got. And they all up in each other's DMs, and they all support, and they figure out who they like and don't like. Mm -hmm. If they like a person, they can do no wrong. If they dislike a person, they can do Do no no right. right. Okay, okay. And it's not about whether that person is right or wrong or standing for the right things. It's about whether you're in our little club. And bottom line, he's calling out there. He ain't said these words, but he's calling out their little club as satanic and poisonous for young people. Y'all are basically telling young people that in order to be a man, you got to be willing to kill another black man. And in order, you got to be willing to fight one and destroy one. And he said, look at me. I've said and done nothing to anybody for 20 years. Have set up and listened to y'all call me a bust. And he goes, now what he's saying is that I got a 16-year-old son. I got a young daughter. I bought a house for my mother. But, but more than that, what he's saying is like, I got to be a father to these kids. They like sports. Their daddy was an athlete. 
a hell of a one, good enough to be the first pick in the NBA draft. And they're turning on the TV 20 years later, turning on their laptop 20 years later, and their daddy's being trashed like he's a laughing stock and a bum. Steven Jackson said his life was dirt. He's like, y'all getting in the way of me fathering my kids. Y'all diminishing the respect my kids have for me. And for what? That's why I like Kwame. Yeah, for what? That's because, why I like Because I didn't average 15, 16, 17 points in the NBA. I now can't be a respected father in my own home. Y'all got to stop. And, and again, y'all shooting at me because I'm an easy target. And he's drawing a line in the, a line in the sense, I'm no longer an easy target. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Y- y- y'all going to respect me because I got these kids to raise. And so, listen, if he were Kobe Bryant, because people get on me, oh, man, you criticize Kobe Bryant. You know how I many people kissed Kobe Bryant's rear end and celebrated him? And there was one guy that would be like, man, he shoots the ball too much. I don't like the way he dealt with Shaq. You know, he's selfish on the court, blah, blah, blah. One guy. Mm-hmm. Everybody else in the media is kissing Kobe's rear end. One guy. Kobe's kids are getting drowned with his father's such an icon. Everybody's upset. Oh, man, we're not criticize Kobe Jackson when he was playing. That's doing no damage to Kobe. None. I'm a, a fly on an elephant's rear end in terms of criticism directed at Kobe Bryant. Everybody is going after Kwame Brown. He's been a laugher. Everybody can just make little passing comments. He's been out of the news for 10 years damn near, and they still making little comments. Michael Jordan talked about him in the last day. He's disruptive. He's fighting back against a negative culture. Kevin Samuels, the exact same thing. They are opening the door for black men to represent black men in a much healthier way. It sounds like Kwame is saying, because he is saying straight up, I'm going to stop people from ever criticizing a black man. Good luck. I don't think that's the standard, because he certainly is criticizing some black men himself. And I don't think that's what he's gunning for. What he's gunning for is a far more honest fact-based criticism that's not based on, well, we in the same little satanic group and we all hop in the hot tub with the same little Hollywood executives. He's basically saying, no, 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 there's going to be some fairness to this. There's going to be some objectivity. Y'all not going to ignore the fact that Michael Jordan basically spent two years trying to destroy my career as a 19-year-old and perhaps maybe I didn't even have a fair shot at developing as a basketball player. Y'all not going to ignore that because you all want to kiss Michael Jordan's rear end. See, it's all this little protection of the elites. Kwame Brown was, even though he made some money and, yes, financially, but he's never been treated as an elite. He calls himself a Geechee. He's a farmer, basically, tractor. He's actually a guy that puts on boots every day and does work. He's not an elite. He's not some being an American. Yeah, he's working. He's got working class American values. Yes, sir. He and Kevin Samuels are creating the space for black men to choose healthier paths. That's why I respect them. That's why I support them. And that's why fearless. We're going to be right in that same lane, trying to create the space again. That that's. When you go look at what we did at Speak for Yourself and how we took Darnell. Darnell grew up. He's Darnell got to be 30 years, close to 30, 25, 30 years younger than me. Darnell is from the exact same neighborhood as me 25 years later. You said the same in that same neighborhood, didn't you? Same neighborhood, same apartments, yeah. same high school as me. Played on the same high school football team that I played on. Then went to Ball State University, where I played as well. And we grabbed him up at 24, 25 years old and said, hey, man, come out here and basically play the role of me and Marcellus's little brother mm-hmm. on Speak for Yourself. I go to Kansas City, my best friend in Kansas City, J- Uncle Jimmy. Jimmy, come on out here. You're you working in a jail. Come on, I'm going to put you on TV. You're going to play the role of my uncle. You have this desire to be a comedian. You have comedic instincts. 
I'll teach you how to play the role on TV. I get Uncle Jimmy out of Kansas City, my longtime friend from Kansas City. I get Marcellus because of what he and his family represent and the values that Marcellus and his family represent. From Compton to Ivy League graduate. Mm -hmm. TJ, great family. From nothing, from absolutely nothing in California. TJ, I think, didn't even graduate high school. I think he went to a junior college and then Oregon State. TJ comes from a very tough background. TJ's one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. Yes. Great family. Know his wife. Kids are big-time softball players. One of them plays at LSU. I think another one's on her way. LeVar Arrington from Pittsburgh. Yep. My guy. Great family. Great family. Wife, kids, wife, a teacher at some private school, L.A. at the time, a high school football coach, all the right values. Jim Jackson from, I believe, Toledo, Ohio, comes from a great family, is a great father, brought some sex appeal to the show, (laughs) better looking than all of us. And Nina, you know, we were going to make her a part of the show. She got to dip her toe. Know her family. One of the greatest basketball players at Baylor University, two-time All-American. Jim, we built something that represented us black people. in a. And look, Mark Slare, white guy, great family, great Christian values. Funny. Funny. Great Christian values. Rick Buecher, great family. Ricky B. Gave us a little taste of Silicon, Satan Valley, (laughs) but a great guy. Coming from an honest place, we built something that that was just excellent. And the blackness of the show was just an added benefit, but it's right in the lane with what Kevin Samuels and Kwame Brown, except it was, it was had the potential to be bigger than that. And so I think we're going to do something similar. And and I don't want to overlook Kyle Livy. Man, you better Char- not. Man, you better not overlook Kyle. Livy. And 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 Charlie Dixon, and all the people, Colvin Zeus, all the people that support Amy Leone. <laughs> that's my favorite person. With all the people that supported, jumped on Neil board. Scarborough, Eric Shanks, that jumped on board with what we were doing, and we started seeing the benefits. I couldn't push them all the way over the edge, and so I left because I know these values that I'm standing on and this vision that I'm standing on, it'll work anywhere as long as somebody's willing to support it. It will work because people are thirsty for it. You said long as somebody's willing to support it. Yeah. So are you saying that the Blaze Media, they're willing to support you? Is that why you feel? <laughs> Obviously. Of course that's why I'm here. What are the, what's the Blaze going to allow you to do that all these other places haven't allowed you to do? Comfortably, really comfortably, lean into my Christian values. And Glenn Beck and I have a connection. We believe in the same things and that the, the solution and how we can bring us back together and get this country back on the right track. And it comes through identifying through our Christ identity and not all these other who you like to screw identity, what color your skin happens to be identity. It's through Christ is what put America on track to overcome its sins. Slavery was a sin. The reason we were able to correct it here was because of our Christian beliefs. And if you read the Declaration of Independence and understand it, and understand the words that Thomas Jefferson placed in the Declaration of Independence intentionally, because it was our only path to ending slavery. He knew slavery was immorally wrong. And you say, well, why did he do it? Why did he own slave? It was commonplace at the time. I know that gluttony is a sin. Oh, why I see you at that McDonald's drive-thru? Because a lot of times we accept sins that have been normalized. 
but we know that there's sins. And that's why I get on my knees every night and in the morning and be like, hey, man, God, help me deal with this gluttony issue that's limiting me from fully experiencing the joy and enrichments and the success you want me here to have here in life. And so I'm saying that Thomas Jefferson put the seeds for the end of slavery in the Declaration of Independence, and it was genius. I'm saying that here at The Blaze, I have the length of time necessary to unpack these ideas. Nobody's going to be looking at me like I'm crazy for unpacking these ideas. And please, I want everybody to hear it in context. I love for the sports show that we were doing, those guys, terrific. Everybody I'm working with, terrific. But in order to unpack some of these much bigger ideas that I'm trying to unpack and explanations, I can't be arguing with athletes. I can't be trying to get them up to speed on what I'm talking about. Because it just, you say something that requires a five-minute explanation, seven-minute explanation, but you only speak for 90 seconds or two minutes, and then people that have no idea what you're talking about speak for 90 seconds or two minutes, and then you have to go correct information that they've said. Eventually, nothing gets said. And so I'm here at the blaze because it's built for the kind of substance that I want to unpack. I'm here at the blaze because they're ahead of the curve on where audiences are going for what previously had been television content. The reason why Kevin Samuels is blowing up and Kwame Brown, they're not on traditional TV. You can't be honest on traditional TV. Look, man, hold on, hold on. We ain't on TV no more. And we don't need to be, Jim. I know that that's probably hurting you with the blue M&Ms. And- okay. <laughs> hey, my, my flock is upset, okay? My flock ain't buying my story about why I'm not on TV. Can you do me and the people a favor right now? Can you do my blue M&Ms? Can you tell everybody right now, because this is the main thing everybody going to sit here all this time for these 10 questions here. Can you please tell the people right now? Uncle Jimmy will have his own show. That's what they want to know. Is Uncle Jimmy going to have his own show along with this show of yours? Uncle Jimmy's going to have a show that he's more involved in and more a bigger part of. Couldn't let me have that, could you? No, you're not. (laughs) I ain't going to let you tell that. You couldn't let me have that, could you? We're going to have a show, a second show. And you wonder why you're not liked amongst our people. Look, man. I'm giving you your driver's permit, your learner's permit to take the wheel of the car. Hey, look, Jason, no hands. <laughs> no. I'm going to give you your own so you can take the wheel of the car, but I'm going to be sitting directly in the passenger seat, and I'm going to reach over and grab the wheel from time to time <laughs> to make sure that we're on message. But look, man, here's what I, you and everybody else needs to understand. The blaze, ahead of the curve, innovative distribution. Top 20 podcast publisher. Largest news and entertainment SVOD network. They bought into my vision. That's number one for me is, you know, buying it. I'm 54. I'm ready to go. I'm loaded for bear. They bought into my vision. I've already said they're not afraid of my perspective and the angle of talking faith. They're already there. The blaze is about love of God and love of country. Right. Those two things go hand in hand. It's called the blaze, and there's a little fire emoji. Right. And what that indicates is, like, they're not afraid of heat. They're used to dealing with heat. Not everybody is used to dealing with heat, particularly on the TV side, and particularly when you are based in Los Angeles or New York or California and the state of New York, not Take the cities out of it. But The Blaze is based in Dallas. So you say, hey, I work for The Blaze. In Texas, nobody bats an eye. There's no waiter that spits in your food. There's no women you sitting out there. Why are you working for The Blaze? Ain't they right wing? Uh, you know, Don't they believe in God? That you, you're mm-hmm, not dealing mm-hmm. with that. But even if you were, The Blaze is built for heat. And Jim, you know better than anybody. I generate a lot of heat. 
Yeah. And and so it's when warm you, in here right now. <laughs> when you uh work in traditional newspapers, work in the mainstream television networks and whatever, a lot of the executives, heat makes them real uncomfortable. Real un- and I don't blame so you can understand why. I nah, mean, not really, but because again, we're in the media, we're supposed to be free. But I get it. They, they got all these corporate purse strings like tied. they used to be, Jason. But but, but and, and then literally I'm going to say, I'm just going to keep it real. Keep it real. I'm going to keep it all the way real. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say this. It's not true across the board. I'm going to give an example. There's a woman named Julie Talbot that runs iHeartRadio. She's built for heat. Heat don't bother her at all. Right. There's a lot of women executives. They don't want that kind of heat makes them uncomfortable. Now, and I'm putting it on because that's unfair for me. To, to put but a feminized culture that we have here now male executives a lot of them not built for heat they don't want their sins and, and the game has gotten so deadly that these blogs and the little rigged up Twitter lynch mobs and these alleged uh, niche left wing news outlets they will air you out. They will go through all of your trash mm-hmm. in your personal life and air you out to force you to get on board with their point of view. It's the get out of jail free pass. That's why Andrew Cuomo can have all these women accuse him of sexual harassment. They settled that, didn't they? That's that settled. No. I haven't heard, I haven't heard <laughs> right. nothing else about that. Right. right. And so he can keep his job. Because he's on the right side of the argument. He's on the right side of history, like I like to say. And so people don't want to be aired out like that because men and women are sinners. And this, again, where I'm going back to people use your sin against you Mm -hmm. and blackmail and threaten you. And, oh, man, you letting Whitlock say X, Y, and Z on your platform? I know about... X, Y, and Z about you. I know which one of the anchors you've tried to get in her panties or you have gotten in her panties, and we will air you out. And so... Whether you have or haven't. Yes. I'm saying there's a reason why the Blaze has an emoji with a little fire. They're saying they're fire resistant, and they're hoping that I start some fires. Because did you watch Game of Thrones? You know, good and doggone well, I didn't. You know who Khaleesi is? I heard you talk about him. Have you ever heard? Times. I told somebody in an interview a few months ago, I'm a dragon. Fire doesn't bother me. And so I finally made it back. I finally made it to the place where ain't nobody afraid of dragons. Ain't nobody afraid of the heat, the fire, fire resistant. This is a fire resistant platform that we've come to. And it's, it's the right move because I'm going to start some fires. Listen, whether you realize or not, I've gone long past my 10 questions with you, and I've loved— well, I, I said at the top you couldn't count. Well, that's that, that, <laughs> of course you did. But I, I want to ask you this last uh, question, and, and I'm very serious about this because I, as I listen to this whole thing and I listen to you talk about this new job, Jason, this kind of sounds more like a calling than a job. What do you say to that? I think that my whole career has been a calling. Okay. And I think no one, and particularly my critics, no one is surprised at where I'm at and what I'm doing because I've been doing this my whole career. Go back to starting the undefeated, the reason why they came at me so hard. So they know exactly what this dragon is going to do. He's going to start some fires that will be out of control and could potentially burn us up. And so we got to get him up out of here because we need someone that will hop on board with the group think that we're promoting. And so I think my whole career has been a calling. Again, if you understand the principles of the Bible and Christianity, and it's all just a search for truth. The truth will set you free. The truth will set, and the reason why we're experiencing less and less freedom in America is because we've outlawed the truth. Mm. You outlaw the truth by becoming secular by running out Christianity and Jesus. So you outlaw the truth, you outlaw Jesus, you outlaw freedom. 
And my calling, if if anybody does a study on what I've been doing since 1990 when I graduated to right now today, is that I've been trying to just follow the truth wherever it leads. And I figured out the reason why I do that is because of my religious upbringing and the principles that 25th Street Baptist Church, my grandmother, Mama Lovey, put in me, mm-hmm. put me on this path and made me pursue this calling. Would you say that it's long overdue? Long overdue. Jim, I said I've been doing it forever. My point I'm making to you, Jason, that you are trying to ignore is it's long overdue in the world. We need somebody to speak up and say what you're saying in the world right Again, now. Again, Kevin Samuel Day, and Kwame Brown. The, the days of talking about how much money you have in your pocket, the days of how many women you have, the days of how many baskets you, should sh- you can shoot are over. We as a people, we as a society, we as a country, we've got to have some changes going on in this world. Otherwise, we're in trouble. No question about that. So let me just say to you firsthand and foremost before anybody, hey, man, thank you for all your work and what you're doing, man, and I'm looking forward to it. And so be patient with us. We're building studios in Nashville. Speaking Uh, of Nashville, why did you choose Nashville? Let let me – I'll answer that here in a second. Be patient. I don't think it'll be much longer, but we're doing things – We're doing things in a very first-class way. The Blaze wants to build a base in Nashville through us, and I think it's a great location. Again, I had to get out of Los Angeles, and I had to get I had to get to a place that reflects the values I want to embrace. Nashville's the music city. It's not just country; it's gospel music, mm-hmm. and the people there barbecue have treated. <laughs> Have to, fried chicken. The people there have treated me awesome. And so, you know, I could rattle off names, Steve Ford, Dave Curtis, the Fitzgerald family, Maurice, Buck, Marcus, Fitzgerald, that family. is People have opened their arms. I went to dinner with the governor of Tennessee probably the first month I was there. Mm-hmm. People have treated me awesome there, and so that's why we're in Nashville. But just be patient. Fearless is on the way. We just wanted to give you a little taste. Let Uncle Jimmy ask me 10 questions. Hopefully I've answered all your questions. And 17, just, 17. And just, I think you'll be hearing from us in June. I'll just say that. All right. Thank you, Uncle Jimmy. Word is you went to Nashville because you wanted to be bigger than Elvis. I just wanted you to answer that. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Cut, please stop this. <laughs>